Hey, good morning. If you're new to Gateway, we're glad to have you join us online. We'd love for you to get in touch with us so we can get to know you and you can get to know us. I'm Pastor Alex. Pastor Ed's out of town this weekend. And uh, this book is about 125 years old. It's a copy of Pilgrim's Progress that I inherited because my great-granddad on my dad's side of the family was a minister. Uh, I got a lot of books from him and also some on my mother's side of the family. 125 years ago, I think ministers were universally held in fairly high regard. It's interesting, in recent days, the Gallup group has uh, done surveys of the American people to ask, how do you rate the honesty and ethics of various professions each year? And uh, the high point was in 1985 when clergy people had a 67% rating. It was at a low point two years ago when they had a 37% trustworthiness rating. And then it rebounded slightly this year. They're back up to 40%, which is definitely the middle of the pack. Now, if you want to know, uh, at the high end are nurses and other medical professionals who have like an 85% trustworthiness rating. At the bottom end is car salespeople with 9%, and only slightly above them are, you guessed it, politicians. Not being able to trust people in ministry, that's not a new issue. In fact, uh, about 2,500 years ago, in the days of Malachi, there were spiritual leaders who let spiritual disappointment erode their commitment to God, and it showed up to the people they were supposed to be serving. Now, we're in the middle of a series that Ed launched a couple of weeks ago. So many ways right now where things turn out not how we imagined them. There's, there's widespread disappointment in lots of different areas. So we're taking a look at the book of Malachi, and this week we're zeroing in on what it would look like to walk through seasons of spiritual disappointment. How do we navigate seasons of spiritual disappointment. Let me give you the backdrop. So about 600 years before Jesus steps on the scene, the Jews were deep in disappointment. The, the land of Judah had been crushed and people had been taken back to Babylonia for the exile. And then not that long after that, the Persians defeated the Babylonians and they sent everyone home. And the, the area around Jerusalem, which was the geographic center of, of God's spiritual kingdom, uh, was full of decay and disarray, the hopes among God's faithful people, which had been, let's go back and rebuild the city and we'll see God's glory again. That had eroded and their hopes had been dashed and disappointment reigns by the time that Malachi steps on the scene. The people were deeply disappointed. They felt like God hasn't honored our faithfulness or our sacrifice. They felt sorry for themselves. They were disappointed in God and disappointed in their circumstances. So around 430 BC, God calls Malachi to rouse his people out of their complacency and funk. And the passage that we're gonna look at today is pretty long. So I'm gonna read a bit and then I'll explain what we've read. And uh, it may help if you wanna follow along or when you're reading this for yourself, uh, looking at a modern translation that makes it easier to understand, that's also helpful. So we're picking up with Malachi uh, chapter one, verse six. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord God Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. 
When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? So let me unpack that a little bit. It's natural and normal for a child to honor their parents and for a worker to respect their boss. That's Malachi's argument here. So likewise, the priests should have shown honor and respect to God. But what they were actually showing him was contempt. They were dishonoring his reputation and diminishing his glory. When Malachi points that out, the priests are dumbfounded. What? You're saying we're not honoring you? How have we shown contempt for your name? And God answers them, you bring defiled, unworthy sacrifices. Understand that in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the people would bring animals to be sacrificed by the priest. And the priest would symbolically lay the sins of the people on the animal, and then they would kill it, and they would burn it on the altar. Because there was no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood, and the animal was a substitute to atone or make things right between God and his people. Now remember, this sacrificial system pointed ahead to Jesus. He was sinless himself, but he took our place and he atoned for our sin. He paid the penalty for our disobedience to God and he bought our forgiveness with his blood so that we could have a relationship with God in spite of our brokenness and sinfulness. So the sacrifice was supposed to be without flaws or blemish, the very best that the person had in their flock. But these priests were accepting blind, lame, and diseased animals, and they were telling the people, eh, it's no big deal. God won't mind. It really doesn't matter. He doesn't care. It's not like he's powerful or all-knowing. He obviously doesn't care about us. And Malachi says that wouldn't be an acceptable gift to an earthly ruler. So obviously it won't be acceptable to the Lord Almighty. God wants the priest and the people they represent to understand that God is a mighty God. He's sovereign and powerful and worthy of honor and respect, and we give him our best because he deserves it. Now let's continue on in the passage. So the, peace say, the people say to the priest, oh, plead with God to be gracious to us. And the reply is, well, with such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Well, the answer is obvious, no. But to make it even more clear, God explains, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you, you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. This section reminds me of Revelation 3.16, where God says to another group of religious leaders, because you're lukewarm, because you can't decide whether you're hot or cold, in or out, you make me want to vomit. Now those are strong words, but God would rather have no sacrifice at all, no public worship, than this pathetic, empty ritual that the priests have developed. There are a number of Old Testament passages that remind us God is not interested in sacrifices. They were never for his benefit anyway. The sacrifices were to remind the people of the cost of their disobedience and their need for God's forgiveness. What God is more interested in is a submissive heart, attentive ears, and true obedience. 
And then Malachi prophetically reminds them that with or without them, God's name and renown will be great, not just among the Jews in this little corner of the world. He's so much bigger than they realize. He will one day be recognized by people from every nation, from east to west and everywhere in between. Every kind of person will worship God with pure offerings and genuine reverence. This section reminds me of Revelation 7-9, where one day people from every tribe and tongue, every people group will gather to worship Jesus. It also reminds me of Gateway on a Sunday morning, because in the last few years, God has richly blessed us with people from dozens of places around the globe, but all of them gather together in one place to give honor to the Lord of hosts. Now let's press on, picking up in verse 13. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and you offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who is an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrificed a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So not only were they not giving God the honor and respect he deserved, they complained about it and they looked at him with contempt. Oh, it's too hard to follow you, God. It's, it's too much work. We want the kind of God who's easy to follow and lets us do whatever we want. The God of God we can cry out to when we're in trouble, but we can keep tucked away in the closet the rest of the time so we don't feel bad doing whatever we want to do. Now look, if you're someone who feels like you're on the outside looking in, spiritually speaking, if you're not yet sure what you think about following God or whether you buy into Christianity, you have a choice. You can accept God's forgiveness through Jesus and you can jump in and let his power go to work in your life. Or you can do your own thing and live your life as best you can without God. That's your choice. But understand that God is not gonna bless a middle path, a half-hearted attempt at spirituality where you play around with it and you go through the motions and you do some religious stuff but there's no heart for Jesus or respect for his ways. God is not interested in that. And not only will he not bless it, he will judge it just like he did with these priests. He's a great king and he's worthy of our sincere devotion, our best efforts and our highest reference. Now we're stepping into chapter two where Malachi says, and now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. Well, maybe you've gotten the impression that God was irritated with these leaders before, but things are really heating up now. He gives a warning to the priests. If they don't listen and change, there will be consequences. And even at this disastrously low point in the religious life of Judah, if the priests will repent and commit to a God-honoring path, God will bless them. But if not, he will curse them and he'll thwart their efforts. He'll punish them. The priests had, had misled the people saying things like, oh, God's happy with us. He'll bless us. Our crops will flourish. But God didn't honor their request and in fact chose to oppose the blessing that the priest had hoped would come to the people. But he goes further on and he says, because of the path you're on and the example you're setting, I'm going to rebuke not only you, but those who come after you. And I will disgrace you in a very visible and noticeable way. 
Now, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the feces of the animal to be sacrificed was not to be included in the sacrifice. It was waste. So it was removed when the animal was slaughtered before it was sacrificed. And it was taken outside the temple and burned on the refuse heap. Now here, God is speaking metaphorically to the priest. And he says, because you view my sacrificial system as animal dung and you treat it with contempt, I'm going to take that animal dung that you remove from the sacrifices and I will spread it on your face so that everyone will know how stinky and despicable you are to me. And you will be taken out to the refuge pile to be discarded, just like the animal dung from the sacrifices. Are you beginning to get a sense of how God feels about half-hearted worship from those who should know better? Now let's cover these last few verses a little farther into chapter 2. At verse 4 he says, And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reference, and he revered me, and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was on his, in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lip. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he's the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching you've caused many to stumble, you violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I've caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Now, again, God terms this a warning because he really wants the priestly covenant to continue. Now, a thousand years earlier, just after God delivered the Israelites from Egyptian captivity, he established the priesthood with Aaron, the brother of Moses, and the tribe of Levi were set apart to take care of the ministry tasks of their day. There was an agreement that God would bless the priests with life and peace. Not just peace as we might think of it, but shalom, the wellness and prosperity and health and wholeness the sum of every blessing that leads to our well-being. And in turn, the priest revered God, and they served him, and they taught the truth about God and his expectations for his people. They aligned their lives with God's word, and they walked with integrity. They preserved the teachings of God, and they challenged his people to live up to them. They applied God's standard to everyone, evenly. They didn't play favorites or bend the rules for the powerful and the rich. And they turned many people away from their lives apart from God and called them back towards God's blessings and power. In a nutshell, that's what the priests in Malachi's day were supposed to be doing. But they had turned away from God. And their example and their teaching led many people to stumble. In fact, this glimpse of the tarnished priesthood is just one snapshot of a long decline that would continue 400 years up until Jesus' day. At that point, there was a very elaborate religious system that influenced almost every aspect of Jewish life, but it lacked wholehearted devotion to God and His truth. So you find Jesus saying things like in Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, all you religious leaders, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded them, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Like Jesus in his day, here God condemns these hypocritical, half-hearted religious leaders, saying, you will be despised and humiliated by the very people you thought you were impressing.
Now, let's step back and look at this picture from like a 30,000 foot altitude because there are two kinds of priests mentioned and there's a clear contrast between them. On the one hand, there's the half-hearted priests of Malachi's day. They just go through the motions with contempt and disdain. But with their worship and with their hearts, they're empty and it's just hollow. On the other hand, there's the Levitical priest from the high point in Israel's religious history. And these are, are priests who are generally devoted to the things of God and wholeheartedly committed to his ways. These priests foreshadow our great high priest that's mentioned in Hebrews 4, Jesus, who did an even better job of interceding for us before God. And in fact, he sacrificed himself once and for all to atone for our sin. So there would be a way for us to approach God and receive his forgiveness and have his blessing at work in our life. But these Levitical priests are also the model for us. In 1 Peter 2, we're told that we also are to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood set apart to foster and facilitate the interaction, the interaction between God and people. We're the go-betweens. So we represent other people to God. We pray for them and we work in their best interest. And we're also supposed to represent God to them, blessing them, serving them, living in a way that they can see the difference that Jesus makes in our lives and encouraging them to open up uh, their own lives to the power and blessing that only comes from God. Well, we're, we're called to be priests to our family, especially to our spouse or our children. But God also wants us to be priests to our coworkers and neighbors. He wants us to be a God-honoring blessing and encouragement to our friends. Now, obviously, there are going to be seasons for us that are spiritually disappointing. Not just disappointing or difficult in general, but specifically in the spiritual department. We may be unhappy with our church or with our small group, or we may be disappointed by someone who's been a spiritual influencer in our life. Maybe we've been faithful and done our best, but things still don't work out the way we imagined they would. We've poured out our heart to God, we've prayed, and it feels like God is not listening, or He's listening, but He just doesn't care. We've endured and persevered, and still the road is difficult. We feel disappointed, overwhelmed, or broken. In those kind of seasons, it can be tempting to follow the example of the priest in Malachi's day to back off or ease up or try to avoid God, to grumble or complain or harden our heart toward Him, to value what is easy over what's right, to aim for expedience instead of obedience, or to try to fix the hurt on our own apart from God. Or maybe instead of fixing the hurt, we just numb it or we bury it and we pretend it doesn't exist. But God calls us to be faithful to His calling regardless of the external circumstances. He challenges us to draw near to Him, even in the seasons of disappointment. Let me leave you with this. Two concrete suggestions that will help us as we follow the example of our great high priest, Jesus, and try to be more like the Levitical priests that served God's people well and less like the priests in Malachi's day. First of all, spend some time in the Psalms of Lament. If you're not familiar with that term, you can Google it, the Psalms of Lament. So Psalm 44 and Psalm 60 
are great examples. These are, are biblical examples of God-honoring people who walk through great disappointment, but they own their heartache and they pour out their disappointment to God and they choose to move forward in dependence on Him rather than turning away from Him or walking away from Him. Another thing I'd encourage you to do is to memorize Romans 8.28 and remind yourself of it often. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. And the idea there is that not everything is good, but God can work it together for good if we know Him and we trust Him and we're called according to His purpose and we act in response to that call. Um, I've got a great example of that that I come back to fairly often. About 10 years ago this fall, I was leading a small declining church. Despite everything that we had done over the last several years, uh, the church continued on a downward trajectory and, and nothing that we were able to adjust or figure out was gonna change that. So we made the decision that we would try to wrap things up and shepherd our people to other churches in the area that would be more uh, healthy, where they could have a sustainable pace of ministry, because we felt like they were just bailing water on the Titanic, no matter how hard they worked. And they, they were tremendously hard workers, but no matter what they did, our church continued to decline, and they were disheartened and exhausted, and we just needed to, to draw it to an end and encourage them to go elsewhere. So we shepherded people to a number of different places. The, the largest group came to Gateway, and that's how I ended up here but it still wasn't a very large group. And others went to different churches in the area and they began to love and serve and do ministry in those places. So not only were they blessed by these other churches, but they became blessings to those other churches. And whenever I see somebody uh, from that former church on Facebook and they're doing something with their current church, I'm encouraged. And I gotta tell you, most often I'm encouraged when I'm doing something here around Gateway and I bump into Gina Apperson, who's our communications director. So much of what you see that makes us look polished or smart or like we know what we're doing, that's because of Gina. And Gina, 10 years ago, was a teenager in that church. And she eventually, after college, ended up at Gateway and she began working for us and now she's full-time here. And she is a blessing to us and she is a blessing to those people around her. So God can work even disappointing things for good. I still wrestle with uh, unanswered questions about what happened at that church, and, and I still, from time to time, feel the heartache, and I know many that experienced that same uh, failure or, or closing with me. We, we felt that, and we continue to feel it from time to time. But God can still work in powerful ways if we stick close to Him, even in the seasons of spiritual disappointment. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for giving us Malachi's story and for helping us understand that you desire our wholehearted devotion in good times and in difficult times. And undoubtedly, we go through seasons of disappointment or heartache we, we go through seasons that challenge us and challenge our faith, but you are faithful to us and you've called us to be faithful to you and to keep on steadfastly pursuing you and serving you and being a blessing to the people around us. For those that are disappointed right now who are struggling, 
who are finding themselves in situations that are nothing like what they expected. I pray that you would give them strength. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give them wisdom and direction. And Jesus, I pray that you would remind them of your example, of, of your endurance and of your self-sacrifice and your obedience to God, even though things were incredibly tough. May we follow in your footsteps, Lord Jesus, and bring you honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.